as you and I make our way through the, uh, the handout and the booklet as we are making those things, uh, we find ourselves this evening in the book of Leviticus. For all of you who think I am just a, a wonderful scholar who have told me thank you for these, let me go ahead and tell you uh, that this is a conglomeration of information from a book known as Know the Bible from Frank J. Dunn. I would highly recommend that book. It's also uh, sprinkled in with some notes from school. And it is heavily sprinkled in with a, a set of notes uh, that was from an older preacher back in Alabama. Now, as you and I have been looking at this, we've been looking at it in the, with the idea and the respect of that scarlet thread, that thread of salvation that runs from Genesis through Revelation. In the book of Genesis, we see the origin of that scarlet thread, the origin of redemption of mankind. Genesis, you see the origin of everything. There you see the very original statement there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15 that there is a redeemed purpose that, that Christ is coming. And then in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 3, you see that origin promise. And so as you and I look through those 50 chapters, we begin to see this scarlet thread unravel. Last week we looked at the idea in Exodus of uh, the scarlet thread being procedures in the book of Exodus, the procedures of redemption. You see, we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29, as we look at all these men, we see that redemption comes by faith. It does. It's seen there in the Old Testament and the New Testament is coming by faith. It also comes by blood, Exodus chapter 20, or Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 20, where you see the way of life that the redeemed are supposed to walk. In Exodus chapter 40, we see the place of worship where the redeemed are supposed to worship. Do you see that plan of God unraveling before your eyes? In the book of Leviticus, what we're going to see is the principles of meditation in redemption, or, or mediation rather, the principles of mediation in redemption. That there is someone that's going to have to go to bat for me because I'm not good enough. Now listen to what I'm going to say. I'm not good enough to stand in the presence of God and plead my own case. So when you and I look at the book of Leviticus, we see a bunch of laws given for a Levitical priesthood. And that priesthood is going to stand before God for the nation of Israel. And as this particular Old Testament begins to unfurl and unravel, what we find is that this book, Leviticus spans one month of time. The whole book takes one month. And if you want to know where it fits, it fits in Exodus chapter 19, in between verse 2 and verse 3. That's an entire month of time 
right there to where God is going to make sure that those who are the mediators have what they are supposed to do before he gives to the entire nation how they are supposed to live. Why? Well, if God gives out all the regulations without, without the, uh, the Levitical priesthood being in line, what happens when the nation of Israel finds out they've sinned? What do they do? Who do they go to? What are they supposed to offer? How are they supposed to offer it? When are they supposed to offer it? It's necessary that the priests, these Levites, know what's going to happen and why those things are going to happen. The key word in that whole book is, is holiness. Holiness. It's found about 87 times in the book. But in contrast, words like uncleanliness happens about 200 times. You want to be holy, this is how you do it. You want to be washed from your uncleanliness, this is how it's do it. Blood, as a mean, uh, means of cleansing, is mentioned about 90 times. You ever gotten blood on your hands? And it dry? You know how easy that is to wash off? Mm-hmm. Why does he say blood is the cleansing agent throughout the book of Leviticus? Well, the question is tainted by the way it's asked because it's not simply through the book of Leviticus. He has made the blood the cleansing agent uh, from the, the garden. It's the fact that, that the Hebrews writer would write, there, there's no salvation. There's no redemption without blood. There's no cleansing of mankind without blood. You see the word atonement nearly 50 times. What are they being atoned for? Well, they're being atoned for their unrighteousness, for their sin. As a matter of fact, this is the book in which the day Yom Kippur begins, and that happens in Leviticus chapter number 15. I am the Lord your God. That statement and variations of it happen over 20 times in this book. I am the Lord your God. I wonder what he's trying to tell them. When, when you and I look at this book, the name seems to be somewhat intimidating. The subject matter seems to be somewhat intimidating. And we look at it and we go, and that's something for the Old Testament guys. We, uh, yeah, uh, man. You look in chapter 17, you see a, a chapter dedicated to menu items. You can eat this, but you can't eat that. You look throughout the book and you see what to do and when to do it and why to do it, and you think there's so many rules, so many regulations. Look right here. Yes, there are. Which is the reason why God would say continually throughout the New Testament, you're not going to be saved by the law. There was one man who lived who kept that law perfectly. Stay right there. And if we lived under that law, we would find ourselves not keeping it perfectly. To 
to change what we do and how we do it, even as the New Testament church, to try to fit into the Old Testament system of faith would boggle our minds with the regulations and the rules and the, I don't want to say hoops, but I want to say hoops. Those different things that they would have to judge themselves and, and judge their lives by. The purpose of Leviticus as a book is fourfold. Number one is to show the holiness of God and to prove that man must continually return to God for forgiveness. If you get nothing else out of this book, get that. God is holy, and if I want to be holy, I'm going to have to be right up there next to Him. Many times what you'll read throughout the Old Testament, and even into the New Testament, are people who want to be holy, like that idea, think that that's a wonderful thing until they see exactly what that would require. And they don't want to do that so much. We live around those people, don't we? Don't shake or nod here because it'll be embarrassing. Sometimes we find ourselves being in that group, don't we? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we put our own needs and desires, our wants and desires, before the holiness and the plan of God. Leviticus reminds us that God is holy. Leviticus also reminds us that man, sinful man, can approach the throne of God by God's means. You can't just go up there and say, I know I'm sinful, forgive me, I, I'm going to try to do better. That's, that's not the way God would have those things. As a matter of fact, as the book of Leviticus opens, it says, listen here, man is sinful. And if he's going to come to God, he's going to have to come to God, God's way. Now, do you think that's too much for God to ask? Who says yes? Raise your hand. To come to God on, on God's terms? And yet it is the fact that we see the Israelites live in opposition to that. And sometimes very much all of us. The, the book of Leviticus is to provide a law to the nation of Israel for life and for worship. Doesn't that sound familiar? First, Timothy, or first Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3, God hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The exact same words, exact same phrasing. Within that New Testament scripture, he tells us how to live properly in a relationship with man and how to live properly within a relationship with God. What do you think Leviticus does? He's teaching that old law to that old, uh, that, that old promised people that they are to be different. The book of Leviticus is there to keep the nation of Israel holy. Don't lose sight of this fact. God will keep the nation of Israel pure and holy as this Old Testament unravels itself because the Christ is coming through that seed. 
Why did he choose them? He had to choose somebody. What's he going to use them for? For Christ. There's, there's no greater purpose in 2021 for the reason why God's going to use Israel. There's no, there's no other reason that he chose them other than Jesus Christ, who's going to be born and die on a cross, needs to have some sort of blood. Right? Shake your head this way. You don't get blood without coming through a bloodline. He's going to have to choose that line from somewhere. This is the place. This bloodline is going to stay pure. You and I probably don't see the humor in the book of the name Leviticus. It means to the tribe of Levi. You know why? It's to the tribe of Levi. It's to teach them how to be priests and how to be priests uh, the right way. Atonement, mediation, separation, consecration, all of those things are found in this book in an effort to teach man how to approach God. What an interesting idea, man approaching God. What if you had the opportunity to approach God today? What if you had the opportunity to speak to Him? What would you say? Some of you look and say, well, I don't know. There are a lot of questions I'd like to ask Him. What about... Why don't you just speak to Him every day? As a group, we've spoken to him four times today. Sometimes we overlook the idea of prayer and the speaking to God through the avenue of prayer, and we think, no, no, but if I had a chance to speak to God, you have a chance all the time to speak to God. Moses was the writer of this book. He wrote the first five books. And he wrote and said things like, the Lord spake and said. Don't overlook that idea. As he writes and says things like, the Lord spoke and said, he's giving us proof of his um, uh, inspiration. It would be Dan, uh, David, rather, who would write in, in first or Second Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 2, the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. And so as you and I look at that idea, we see God speaking through Moses and his pen right here in this instance. So it is as much as God speaking to them as he possibly can. This is the book where we're introduced to the scapegoat. And this is also the book where we are introduced to the fact that God's um, commands, God's commands, on, on most every case, God's commands are conditional. Now, I'm going to tell you this. There are some slides after this 
Uh, but we're not going to have time to get those because we're going to spend the rest of our few moments on the idea of the conditionality of God's law. God gives laws throughout, well, throughout the entirety of the Bible with if-then statements. If-slash-then. You and I give those to our children all the time. And we know the weight. As a matter of fact, in the, in the world of the debate and in the world of logics, if-then statements are the hardest statements to get around. Interestingly, why God would use those. If you, as my child, act right, sometimes we say at the house, if you act like you got some sense, then... I will not embarrass you out in front of everybody. However, if you act like you don't have any sense, I promise you I will embarrass you out in front of everybody. When God says, if you will follow my law then you will live and follow that statement by saying, if you do not follow my law, you will perish. What do those things mean? It's, it's ungetaroundable, isn't it? It's ungetoverable. You, you can't manipulate those words to say anything other than if you're faithful to me. I will reward you. If you are unfaithful to me, I will not. Welcome to the book of Leviticus. That's what he says. Throughout that entire book, he will say, If you will do this, then I will do that. If you do not do those things, then this will be the punishment for it. Now, is there any kind of application that you and I can make of those statements even today. Even where Peter would, or uh, rather, where Jesus would say, if you believe not that I am He, you'll die in your sins. John 8, verse number 24. If we wanted to, to follow the exact pattern that God would give us in Leviticus, we, we could... Uh, Manipulate the syntax a little bit of that sentence where Jesus would say, If you don't believe that I am He, then you will die in your sins. Do you believe that that's what Jesus said? John chapter 8 and verse number 24. Do you believe that Jesus said you must repent of your sin? I tell you, nay. If you repent, Everything will be lovely. If you do not repent, you will also perish. Luke chapter 13 and verse number 3 and verse number 5. What does he mean when he says if you don't repent, you won't perish, or you will, you will perish? Well, the fact of the matter is it's an if-then statement. If you want to live, repent. 
It would be Jesus to say, if you will confess me before men, then I will confess you before the Father. If you won't confess me before men, you got no hope. If, then statements. Luckily, he never said any if-then statements about being baptized, right? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If I want to be saved, then I will believe and be baptized. Mark 16, verse 16. I got all that, preacher, but, but he never said anything about being faithful, right? Revelation 2, verse 10. If thou will be faithful unto death, then I will give thee a crown of life. <laughs> you know, we don't make these things up as we stand here and say, Boy, that sounds pretty good. I guess I'll go with that tonight. It has been and consistently will be the very Word of God where God will say, if you will follow me, then you will live. If you decide not to follow me, then there's no hope. How much hope do you have? True biblical hope. Understanding what that is with the assurance of receiving it because of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of myself and of yourself, we can find ourselves being rewarded by God. Those if-then statements that are found throughout the book of Leviticus and throughout the Bible are so vitally important we don't even understand. It'll probably be about around um, June the 20th. We're going to pick back up with Leviticus then. And we'll preach that sermon. Just hold on to that one, Bob. But it's necessary for us to understand the if-then statements and why Leviticus is so important for us in order to understand how that scheme of redemption works for us today. Without understanding the history of how that scheme of redemption is given to us by God, we'll not understand why even God would want to save us. Let me ask you this. What kind of hope do you have? Do you have the hope that says, well, maybe God will save me because He, because he likes me more than He likes you? Or do you have the hope that says, I have met the conditional statements of God, the if-then statements, and I know because of who He is, He's going to reward me because I have been faithful to Him. If you find yourself in this assembly tonight, and you find yourself never being obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, tonight, tonight is the time. There's no better offer on the table. What are you waiting for? The only thing Jesus, or rather God himself, through the, through the blood of Jesus would offer would be forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Is there anything better than that? If you haven't done so, it's time to do those things. If you haven't been faithful. I've got great news for you, brother or sister. You can come back home. And I was talking to some, uh, a couple this morning, and we were talking about the idea of, of faithfulness and those kinds of things. And, 
and uh, how man would approach God. And I made this statement to them. The prodigal son had the opportunity to be forgiven by God, but he didn't have the opportunity to be forgiven by God in that hog pen. He had to go away. He had to go back home, didn't he? Come back home to a God that loves you and to a family that misses you. Come home right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement. There is-